0: You're listening to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that that through this podcast you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In this podcast we'll be looking at a series of controversies between Jesus and the religious leaders from Mark chapter 2 and 3. The religious leaders found fault with Jesus and Jesus defends his actions. There is a constructive criticism and also a destructive criticism. Which do you practice? Don't become a fault finder. This is the big idea in today's podcast. So let's look at Mark chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 6. This is the last in a series of controversies between Jesus and the religious leaders. So Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Both Mark and Luke record these five controversies between the religious leaders and Jesus. It's found in Mark chapters 2 and 3 and Luke chapters 5 and 6. The religious leaders were amongst the harshest critics of Jesus. They became less tolerant and more harsh in their criticism of Jesus as they examined his ministry they continually looked for reasons to find fault in Jesus. These religious leaders were unfairly critical and their criticism was intentionally destructive. There is nothing wrong with investigating or examining or evaluating something. We do this all the time in our everyday life. A telemarketer calls us attempting to sell us a product We investigate, examine, and evaluate his claims to determine what decision we should make. We attempt to convince the non-Christian to honestly examine the claims of Christianity. We're not asking him to throw his brains out and just accept, carte blanche, everything that we say about Christ and the Bible. But we're asking him to honestly evaluate the truth claims of Christianity. It's important to be critical and discerning in evaluating life. These men did not practice a constructive criticism as they examined the ministry of Jesus. They deliberately tried to find fault with Jesus in order to destroy his credibility. Their attitude and motivation was dishonest and immoral. What is the right way to correct the fault in another? The Bible gives us instruction on this. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That's Galatians 6 and verse 1. According to this passage, to be overtaken in a trespass describes a man who has committed an act of sin, rather than one who is habitually sinful. We approach the person at fault with a loving, tender heart of concern, attempting to restore the transgressor. We don't act in a spirit of pride or superiority, but in a spirit of gentleness, remembering that we also are subject to temptation. The Bible gives us both positive examples to follow and negative examples to avoid. Today, we have a series of negative examples to avoid. These religious leaders give us an example of what not to do. They were fault finders. So let's look at five characteristics of fault finding. First, a fault finder usually is a person who has been offended themselves. Mark chapter 2 verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? This verse is taken from the story where Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Taken from Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. As the news of Jesus' ministry spread, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to investigate the stories they heard about Jesus. The religious leaders had every right to investigate the ministry of Jesus. It was their responsibilities as the leaders of Israel. They didn't come with an open mind or an open heart, seeking to examine the ministry of Jesus, but instead they came with a critical mind, seeking to find fault. Here we see them assembling in Galilee with an obvious purpose of finding some accusation to level against Jesus. Luke tells us that as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judah, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's Luke 5 verse 17. This was the beginning of the official opposition of Jesus. Four men carried their friend, a paralytic, led him down through the roof to Jesus in the house. That's Mark 2 verses 3 and 4. Jesus declared the paralytic's sins forgiven in verse 5. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? That's Mark 2, verses 6 and 7. The scribes quickly caught the significance of the statement that Jesus made. They were educated enough in Bible doctrine to know that only God could forgive sin. Anyone who professed to forgive sins was claiming to be God. Only God could forgive sin. And if Jesus was claiming to forgive sins that he was claiming to be God. Jesus looked within their hearts. He saw their critical spirit, and he knew that they were accusing him of blasphemy. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? They were offended at Jesus' declaration. Often a fault finder is not interested in finding the truth. Instead, they are looking for error. A fault finder does not objectively try to give the person the benefit of the doubt, but instead they are focused on finding the fault. A person is guilty until he is proven to be innocent in the minds of these religious leaders. This was how the scribes and the Pharisees approached Jesus. Guilty until proven innocent. Fault finding usually begins with an offense. The religious leaders were offended at his statement. Jesus read their thoughts. This was proof in itself that he was operating in supernatural power and that he was God. He asked them a question. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? That's Mark 2 and verse 9. Is it easier to pronounce a man's sins forgiven or his paralyzed condition cured? Both of these things are humanly impossible to do. In order to demonstrate that the man's sins had really been forgiven, Jesus gave the scribes something that they could see. He told this paralyzed man to rise, take up his bed, and walk. The man responded instantaneously. The people were amazed. They had never seen anything like this before. But the scribes did not believe. In spite of overwhelming evidence, a miracle performed right in front of them. They still chose not to believe. Belief involves the will. They did not want to believe. They chose not to believe. His actions proved that he was God, but the religious leaders still chose not to believe. I believe the reason why many people do not believe in God is because belief in God would demand a moral shift in their lifestyle, and this is something that they are unwilling to do. Many people like their sins, and they don't want to change. This is often the reason for lack of belief in God. The religious leaders were fault finders and Jesus had offended them. Secondly, a fault finder attempts to damage our faith in others. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? That's Mark 2 verse 16 This verse of scripture is taken from the story of the calling of Levi or Matthew from Mark chapter 2 verses 13 to 17 The scribes and Pharisees had caught Jesus in another serious fault. Instead of going to Jesus directly, they went to his disciples and tried to undermine their confidence and loyalty in Jesus. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Mark 2 verse 16. Jesus was deliberately associating himself with the outcasts of Jewish society. He had called a tax collector to become one of his disciples. In the mind of the scribes and Pharisees, Levi was a dishonest man. All tax collectors were dishonest traitors because they worked for Rome. Levi, after becoming a disciple of Jesus, invited some of his friends to meet with Jesus. People like him, employees of Rome were looked upon by most in Israel as being traitors and sinners. This was the crowd that Jesus wanted to meet with. The Pharisees caught Jesus at a party with publicans and sinners. Instead of going to Jesus to express their grievances, they attacked his credibility in front of his disciples. This was an attempt to damage and destabilize their faith in Jesus. An attempt to undermine the Lord's authority and question His character. They didn't just express their opinions to one another. They targeted the disciples. Jesus was deficient in maintaining the standards of separation from sinful people. Jesus overheard what the Pharisees were saying to His disciples, and He responded. When Jesus heard it, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. That's Mark 2 and verse 17. Jesus was Levi's friend because it was his mission to seek the lost. Jesus did not come for the righteous, or we could say the self-righteous. The self-righteous don't see their need of a Savior. The righteous don't exist apart from Jesus. There are three kinds of people Jesus cannot reach. Those who do not know about Jesus, those who know about Jesus but refuse to trust him, and those who will not admit that they need him. A fault finder will attempt to damage our faith in another person. In this story, the religious leaders attempted to diminish the disciples' faith in Jesus. A fault finder in general will attempt to damage our faith, attachment, and loyalty to other people. Thirdly, the fault finder will attempt to point out the sins of others. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, and your disciples do not fast? That's Mark 2, verse 18. Why was Jesus having such a good time with these sinners? His conduct seemed inappropriate to the Pharisees and maybe even John's disciples. John's disciples approached Jesus with this question, and the Pharisees were quick to join them and condemn Jesus for their celebration and their carousing. Partying with sinners was an inappropriate thing for Jesus and his disciples to do. This became one of the accusations the Pharisees made against Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. For John the Baptist didn't drink wine, and he often fasted. And you say, He's demon-possessed, and I, the Son of Man, feast and drink. And you say, He's a glutton, and a drunkard, and a friend of the worst sort of sinners. But wisdom has shown to be right by what results from it. That's Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19 in the New Living Translation. So both of these verses of Scripture tell us that the pharisees could not be pleased they accused john the baptist of being extremely ascetic and they accused jesus of the opposite being extremely liberal in the things that he did they could not be pleased the disciples of john the baptist and of the pharisees practiced fasting as a religious exercise in the old testament fasting was instituted as an expression of deep sorrow and repentance to be performed once a year on the Day of Atonement. But it had lost much of its meaning and had become a routine ritual with the Pharisees. By this time in history, fasting had become a regular weekly event for the religious, and an important part of the practices of Judaism. The Pharisees practiced fasting twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Part of the Pharisee's prayer was this. This is taken from Luke 18, verse 12. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I possess. These were the practices which highlighted the righteousness of this Pharisee. He tithed, and he fasted twice a week. The legalism imposed by the scribes and Pharisees had made Judaism a burdensome thing for the common man. The common folk were weighed down by rules and regulations that were impossible to obey. Because of all the additional rules and regulations that the Pharisees had added to the law of Moses, which they called the tradition of the elders, it was impossible for the common man to obey or live up to all of these additional rules and regulations. Jesus speaks to this when he said, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. Lay them up on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. That's Matthew 23 and verse 4. God never intended life to be dominated by rule-keeping. God doesn't want us to try to live our lives navigating around hundreds of rules, governing everything from how far we walk on the Sabbath to buying our eggs. Was Jesus ignoring the practice of fasting? Do you see the subtle attack on Jesus here? The implication here is that John taught his disciples to fast, the Pharisees have taught their disciples to fast, but what is wrong with you, Jesus? Why were the disciples of Jesus not trained to fast? In an attempt to find fault with Jesus, the Pharisees brought up the subject of fasting. The Pharisees were not really looking for an answer. They were expressing their grievances with Jesus and attempting to expose his faults. Jesus responds with a story about the inappropriate behavior of people fasting at a wedding feast. A wedding is a joyous occasion, and fasting is a symbol of sorrow and repentance. What Jesus was doing was entirely appropriate. A new cloth patch on an old garment or new wine in an old wineskin illustrates the problem here. The incompatibility of the tradition of the elders and the liberty of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to destroy the Jewish faith, but to fulfill it. Jesus defends his actions, but this incompatibility between the old and the new was not being recognized by the Pharisees. The fault finder is big on pointing out the sins of another. Fourthly, fault finders never intend to correct a fault, only to highlight the failures of others. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? That's Mark 2 and verse 24. As Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples picked some grain to eat. This was not a violation of the law of Moses. But according to the rule police, they had violated the rules of the Sabbath. According to the hair-splitting traditions of the Jewish elders, The disciples had broken the Sabbath by reaping, picking the heads of grain from the field and threshing the grain by rubbing the grain in their hands to remove the husks. So they were guilty of reaping and threshing grain. In the minds of the Pharisees, this was classified as working on the Sabbath. Plucking bits of grain from the field to eat was permitted under the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. This incident illustrates the conflict between the tradition of the elders and the gospel teachings of Jesus. Jesus openly violated the Sabbath traditions of the Pharisees. Jesus did not violate the Law of Moses, only the traditional teachings of the Pharisees that had grown up around the Law of Moses. The Pharisees followed these traditional teachings as if they were the law of Moses, but Jesus did not follow these same traditions or believe in them as being the law. Jesus was not violating the law of Moses, but in their thinking, Jesus was. The religious leaders were clearly offended. To ignore the tradition of the elders was like a declaration of war against these religious leaders. Jesus was challenging their teachings and their way of life. The religious leaders pushed back by confronting Jesus. In verse 24, look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This was an open and direct expression of offense against the law of Moses in their thinking. The disciples were guilty of harvesting on the Sabbath. Jesus was clearly responsible for the actions of his disciples because he was their leader. He was equally guilty as his disciples. They should have been taught properly by Jesus, but it was obvious that Jesus had failed to warn his disciples to avoid such evils. Moses had prohibited work on the Sabbath, but he had not given specifics. Exodus 20 verse 10 But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Jewish tradition had developed in great detail what these prohibitions were. Let me give you some details of some of the prohibitions that grew up around violating the Sabbath. One could not spit on the Sabbath because such an action was could disturb the dirt, and this would be considered plowing on the Sabbath. A woman should not look in a mirror on the Sabbath, lest she be tempted to pluck a gray hair, and this would be considered work. Eating an egg laid by a hen on the Sabbath was sinful, because the hen worked to lay that egg. And for you to purchase and eat an egg would make you complicit with the hen who worked on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had developed some legal loopholes to get around some of these laws. For example, you could not carry an arm full of clothes out of a burning house on the Sabbath because this would be classified as working in the Sabbath. But you could put on several layers of clothes and bring them out by wearing them and this would not be considered work. These were the Jewish traditions that grew up around the law of Moses. They were followed as if they were the law of Moses. Jesus did not follow these traditions. The religious leaders asked Jesus the question, Why do they, your disciples, do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus replied by giving them an example from 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is where David and his men, out of necessity, ate bread from the tabernacle, sanctified only for the priests. Mark 2 and verse 26. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. This scripture, of course, is referring back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, speaking of David. Jesus points out that human need takes precedence over the ceremonial law, and that the Sabbath was instituted by God for man's benefit and refreshment. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2 in verse 27. Look at the attitude of the religious leaders. They clearly had no tolerance for any failure in keeping the tradition of the elders. They immediately pointed out the violation of the law and openly expressed their disapproval of Jesus. Notice that there is no hint of loving and kind correction, just a harsh disapproval and opposition to failure. They needed to comply with the law of Moses and the tradition of the elders. These Pharisees looked at Jesus with suspicion as a non-lettered rabbi. Jesus had no formal training by some recognized rabbinical teacher. This is what is meant by an unlettered rabbi. They considered Jesus to be a non-lettered rabbi, one that had no formal training. The Jewish leaders were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't studied everything that we've studied, they asked. That's John 7 and verse 15 in the New Living Translation. Jesus neglected in teaching his disciples about keeping the Sabbath laws. This proves that he is a non-lettered rabbi. A fault finder never intends to correct the fault in another. Just point out those faults. Christianity is redemptive. It seeks to redeem people from sin. Christians are to be redemptive. We want to see people pardoned and forgiven and freed from sin. We want to see people walk in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. On the other hand, the fault finder never intends to correct a fault, only to highlight the faults in others. Fifthly, the fault finder looks for an opportunity to accuse others so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the sabbath so they might accuse him that's mark chapter 3 verse 2 it was the sabbath again mark 3 and verse 2 tells us that they watched him that is jesus closely so that they might accuse him The verb watched here in the Greek is in the present tense. That means that they kept watching him closely. The critics of the Lord watched Jesus persistently and closely. They maliciously waited to trap him. Notice their motivation to find fault in him. Would Jesus heal this man on the Sabbath? They were hoping that he would violate the law by healing him on the Sabbath. They may even have planted this man in the congregation in order to trap Jesus. If he did heal the man, the Pharisees would have a case against him. So they thought. Think of the hypocrisy and the insincerity of these leaders. They couldn't do anything to help this man. They used this man to trap Jesus knowing that Jesus in compassion would help this man and heal him. The Pharisees would permit healing on the Sabbath only if a life was in danger. This man's problem was not life-threatening and could wait some other day to be healed. They were counting on Jesus healing this man so they could accuse him of being a Sabbath violator. Jesus asked a question about two kinds of actions being consistent with the Sabbath. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Mark 3 and verse 4. The Bible says that Jesus looked around, an all-inclusive penetrating look. He kept eye contact with these hard-hearted men. Jesus could see the hardening of these men's hearts, and their sin made Jesus angry. There was no mercy in their heart for this man's condition. Jesus never got angry at the publicans or sinners, but he often expressed anger at the self-righteousness of the religious leaders, who would rather protect their traditions than approve of a man's healing. They resisted the healing of this man. Jesus said to the man, step forward in verse 3, so they could see this man's condition. Jesus then said, stretch out your hand in verse 5. Jesus required an act of obedience. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. That's Mark 3 in verse 5. Jesus did not touch him. Jesus did not say a word. Only stretch out your hand in obedience. And the man did, and it was restored. There was really no action on the part of Jesus that showed that he actually did anything to heal this man, but the man was healed. Look at what these religious leaders did next they proceeded to plan the death of Jesus. They resisted the healing of this man on the Sabbath, but saw no contradiction in planning the death of Jesus on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Mark 3 and verse 6. So the Pharisees saw no contradiction in planning the death of Jesus with the Herodians. But yet they criticized Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Mark 3 and verse 4. The fault finder looks for an opportunity to accuse others. Dave Fink, author of the book Release from Nervous Tension wrote an article for Cornell Magazine in which he made a striking suggestion as to how we can overcome mental and emotional tensions. As a psychiatrist for the Veterans Administration, he was familiar with 10,000 case histories in the field. Thousands of people who were mentally and emotionally tied up had asked Dr. Fink for some short magic-button cure for nervousness. In his search for such a cure... He studied two groups. The first group was made up of thousands of people who were suffering from mental and emotional disturbances. The second group contained only those, thousands of them, who were free from such tensions. Gradually, one fact began to stand out. Those who suffered from extreme tension had one trait in common. They were habitual fault-finders, constant critics of people and things around them whereas the men and women who were free from all tensions were the least fault-finding. It would seem that the habit of fault-finding is a prelude or mark of the nervous and of the mentally unbalanced. Not only is fault-finding destructive to others, but according to Dr. Fink, fault-finding is destructive to the fault-finder. Don't be a fault-finder. It may be easy to slip into fault-finding when facing personal difficulties and in dealing with difficult people. It is difficult to extend mercy and love and forgiveness to those that have hurt us. It is easy to hold negative feelings towards those who have caused you problems. Fault-finding, blame, and anger may seem like a natural thing to do in these circumstances, but God is calling us to do the right thing. Give all of your negative habits to God and repent of them. This is a must in order to move on into maturity in Christ. Don't remain a fault finder. Let's pray. Father, forgive me for these negative feelings and thoughts that I have. I want to follow the example of Jesus and live according to your word. Help me to walk as Jesus walked. Help me to walk in mercy and love and in forgiveness, especially towards those who are difficult to live with. Help me to look for the good in others instead of looking for their faults. Lord, as I view the lives of others, help me to see them through your eyes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? You can also visit my website, Relevant TruthPodcast.com, where you will find an archive of all of my messages and book recommendations. You can also contact me at rockrevmason 79 at gmail.com. That is R O C K Rock R E V Rev, rev M A-S O N Mason 79 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.